You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Grant Hartrick. Do we have any runners at Trillis? Are there any runners on the south, in the south side? I'm talking not people who can run, but like runners. It's like, I play golf. I am not a golfer. Um, anybody that like a marathon runner? One, you're not sure if you want to raise your hand, but that's pretty amazing. Most of the marathoners, you got the stickers all over your cars. You're very proud of it. Marathoner here, amazing. Jeff Johnson, who was leading worship a minute ago, is an Ironman like multiple times over, which is pretty crazy. That means he swims two something miles and then bikes a hundred something miles and then runs a marathon after that. And I always want to say to people who run marathons, congratulations. And then I want to say, Why? Why would you do that? I just don't get it. I mean, even like we live in uh, Marietta. We live on a, a, a stretch of Marietta. It's very flat. People run there all the time. Like this morning, it's 20 degrees outside. There's people running. I'm like, I don't understand what's wrong with you. Why would you want to do that? People who run marathons pay money, their own money. They pay money to go be tortured for hours. And I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm not at that space in life. I do not run. I could run. I've kind of reserved only a few categories of running for me at this point in my life. I run after my kids. I run from my kids. I run if I'm about to miss a flight. And I run from my car inside if it's raining. And other than those four categories, I pretty much don't run. And if I have to run any of those four, I'm sore for a couple of days. You know, the, there's always the people that say, well, you just don't understand. Like if you had an Apple watch and you could close all your rings, it just feels so good when you close all your rings. I'm like, maybe it does. But I'm telling you right now, sleeping in and having donuts on Friday morning feels pretty good too. So you, <laughs> my rings are wide open and I'm pretty happy with that. Anybody with me down here on the south side? I'm playing this ring game down here. But I can remember when I was a kid, uh, my, I grew up in a, a house, I have three brothers. And my dad, every year would run the Peachtree Road Race. Any Peachtree Road Racers in here? Awesome, amazing. Um, and we all, of my, my mom would get our brothers together. We'd, you know, make our signs and we'd get all the chairs and we'd go find a stretch uh, where we could plop our chairs down. And we could wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for my dad eventually to come by. This is what the Peachtree Road Race looks like at the start, by the way. Which as an introvert, I'm like, right there, I'm out. I want no part of that. I don't want to run and I don't want to be around that many people ever in life. So I'm, I'm out on the Peachtree Road Race. But it's interesting, the, the whole streets of Atlanta, you know, are lined with people that got their signs. They're waiting for their person to, to come, you know, around the corner or whatever. And we'd all be out there. We'd have all our stuff, you know, and finally you'd see, de you'd see my dad, Tom, come around the corner. And I don't know if he was running before he came around the corner, but when he came around the corner and saw us, he would pick up the pace. And we start, you go, dad, you're awesome. You're doing it, man. You're going to make it. You can do it. And all of a sudden, you know, he just huff and puff, picking up pace, going right past. I don't know what happened on the next turn. Probably one of those things where his arms were running, but his legs weren't. You know that run where your arms are moving like this, but then you're like, you're walking. Let's just, you're walking. This is a walk at this point. Um, I, I don't know what happened, but I know that when we shouted at my dad, he picked up his pace. And I think the reality of where we are in this series in Hebrews, that's kind of what the Hebrews writer is after, is a picture like this. 
the, the Hebrews writer is writing to a bunch of believers who are discouraged and tempted to throw in the towel. They're weary, they're tired. And all throughout the New Testament, you understand this, your life and my life is referred to as a race. This language is pretty common. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you know this if you've ever run, you don't run a sprint the same way that you run a marathon or you'll never finish a marathon, right? When you run a sprint, you're basically just thinking about starting because by the time you start, you're pretty much done. If you run a marathon, you're, you're not really thinking about having a great start. You're thinking about doing whatever you got to do to preserve enough energy to persevere and to finish. And this is the way it is with the life of faith. We have to have endurance. Everywhere it talks about your life as a race, it uses these kind of words. Endurance, perseverance, patience, persistence. And we all know that to be true, right? Especially right now, there's a need for us as believers to come under this call to persevere to endure in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 in my Bible, I don't know about in your Bible, but the header that they put in there after the fact, the header over Hebrews uh, chapter 10, just above verse 19 is a call to persevere in the faith. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, you read these, this verse, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And when I was studying for this message and I read those words, you have need of endurance. They were just seared onto my heart because you don't have to be awake for two seconds in 2022 to realize you have need of endurance as a church, as a people, as a family, as a husband, as a wife, as a person of faith, you have need of endurance. You watch the news for two seconds and you're ready to throw in the towel. You try to navigate life for a day and you're like, man, this is just wearing me down. I'm weary and I have need of endurance. And the same thing was true for the people that the Hebrews writer was writing to. They were worn down, they were tired. They were ready to throw in the towel and just go back to what they had before. And the writer's going, persevere, endure, you can make it. And he paints this amazing picture. And so I want you to see the picture. The Bible's so amazing, by the way. I hope at some point in your life, you have this desire. If you don't have it yet, here's a simple prayer that I used to pray. I used to hate reading. I was a SparkNotes guy. I made it through education on SparkNotes. And then I realized that God speaks through his word. And if God speaks through written words, then I want to learn to love to read because I want to love God. And maybe you don't love to read yet, that's okay, but here's a prayer I would start to pray. God, give me a desire to want to be in the word of God. And he answers that prayer, I promise you, he will answer that prayer. And I wanna pull out what the Hebrews writer, you're gonna keep hearing me say that because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, which is a little bit weird. It'll be a long line when we get to heaven. There'll be a lot of people who wanna meet a lot of people and then there'll be a line of, hey, just tell me who wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm just <laughs> curious at this point. But he's painting this beautiful picture in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, and the famous verses that most of us probably know of Hebrews chapter 12. You see this race language, let us run our race with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You see this perseverance, endurance language. Uh, Hebrews 12, three, consider him Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see the kind of people, you see what's going on as he's writing to them and then he gives us this picture he says therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us run our race now I don't know about you I used to have no idea what that meant I'm like okay that there's a cloud somewhere okay 
and there's a bunch of witnesses up there and they're witnessing me. So they're, what are they watching me? They got their little clipboard out. They're marking, they didn't do too good today. Didn't know all the words to that song. Only got one hand up in worship today. Missed church last week. He was at the lake. That's two strikes, you know. Is this what's happening in this great cloud of witnesses? But it's so powerful if you read the whole book and you understand that the writer is simply trying to give you fuel to persevere. So he says there's this cloud of witnesses and you know the word witnesses has multiple meanings, right? So you can be an eyewitness to an accident. accident. What does that mean? It means that you saw it, right? But you can also witness to your friend, which means that you are speaking. And the word here, the Greek word here that's used, the picture really is that these people, these legends in Hebrews chapter 11, these people in the hall of faith, the great saints of old, the people who are in the cloud are witnesses, meaning that they are a person who's sitting on a witness stand and testifying to what they've experienced. That's what they're doing. So are they up there giving you marks, A, B, C, D minus, we'll let them slip by? No, they're up there in their lives are speaking to you and cheering you on the same way that I had the little sign up, go dad, you can make it. The great saints of old are cheering you on today. And they're saying, by faith, we made it. And by faith, you can make it. I don't know what leg you're on in your race. I don't know what corner you're trying to round. I don't know how tired your legs are. I don't know how tempted you are to throw in the towel. But the Hebrews writer speaking in this day and speaking in our day is saying, don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't cash it all in, but double down. Because by faith, we made it. And by faith, you can make it. The idea is there's this to be this imitation of these great uh, saints. And you see that even in Hebrews 6, just kind of further proof that this is what the writer's trying to get across. He says this, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy. Don't you love that's in the Bible? Maybe I should take back my uh, no rings comment. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what, inherit what was promised, what has been promised. There is to be this imitation. So as we're looking at the great saints, we're, we're to imitate their faith. We're to learn from their life, to see what they did, and then to imitate. And then it's not just the saints of old, but this language of imitate, imitate, imitate. You see all throughout Hebrews, even in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, remember those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Is there anybody right now who you're looking at their life, you're looking at their faith and you're trying to imitate them? You're trying, to go, you're, you're trying to watch their life so closely that your life has started to look different because of how closely you're watching their life. I was with my dad yesterday, 70 years old, an amazing man, one of the best pictures I've ever seen in my life of a man of humility and a man of integrity. And from the time I was barely able to comprehend he was my dad, I remember thinking, I wanna be just like him. I wanna watch him, I wanna do what he does. I wanna be like him. I wanna make the decisions that he makes. I do weird things that he does. My eyebrow does a weird thing that his does just because I've watched him my whole life. Our Pastor Louis, the guy who I sat under his teaching as a college student and wasn't following Jesus, my life was in a train wreck and I heard a man talk about a gospel in a way I've never heard anybody talk about the gospel before. And I went, I want that. And so I received Jesus and then I, I watched his life. 
and, and, I, and I do things like he does things and I'll go places in the world and put, somebody will say to me afterwards, I don't know if this is a compliment or an insult, but I just want to tell you that I see so much of Louis Giglio's preaching in you. And I'm like, you don't know if that's an insult or a compliment? That's like telling me that my serve looks like Roger Federer's serve. I, I, I'm not trying to copy him. I'm trying to imitate him for the sake of, I want to persevere. I want to make it. I want to be effective. I want this gospel to not just touch me, but to move in me and through me. Do you have anybody whose faith is so sure that you're watching them so closely that even the people around you have started to recognize you're starting to look a little bit like them. You're starting to act a little bit like them. You're starting to pray a little bit like them. And the Hebrews writer is giving us an example. So maybe you have those earthly people right now, but even if not written in the pages of this book, we all have the saints of old to look to and to be encouraged. And so I wanna just pull out two of those people. And I love that in this, uh, in these, this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, called the Hall of Faith, if you grew up uh, when we called it the Hall of Faith. In my Bible now, it's, it, it's, uh, the header is faith in action, but there's all these people listed. And I love that this is what it says, that they all were commended for their faith, that all these people were commended for their faith. That word uh, means commended, yes, also means uh, approval, that, that God has approved of these men and women. He has put his stamp of approval on their lives. And I don't know about you, but for me, my greatest aim of life is for me to stand before God and to hear approved of approved of. I approved of this man. This is my man. This is my son. This is my daughter. And all of these men and women, perfect? No, but they were commended for their faith. They were approved of. And so I want to just pull out two people. It's kind of what we're doing in this series and look at their lives and see what we can learn from it. The first of those is Abel. If you have your Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll look at verse four. It says this, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, approved of, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Now, I love that Abel's the first guy listed here. We read about Abel in the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter four. There's not a lot of verses about Abel. We, we don't know a ton about him, but he's the first guy listed in the men and women that, of the hall of faith that are approved of by God. So here's the few verses in Genesis chapter four, beginning in verse three. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought and also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, when I read that, my first question is, why? Why did God accept Abel's offering and reject Cain's offering? And many smart people have argued for many years and nobody really has ever found an answer that is uh, fail-proof. Some people have said, well, it's because that there was blood in Abel's offering and blood was required. But I'm like, well, if you read Leviticus chapter six, you read the instructions by God for a grain offering. So I don't think that's the reason. And then when I was reading this text, I thought, maybe the reason's just in this verse. It seemed to be enough for the Hebrews writer. Maybe the answer is just these two words that, that Abel brought his offering, what? By faith. By faith, he brought a better 
offering than Cain did. Maybe the difference is not in what was put on the table in the offering. Maybe the difference was inside of the heart of the men who brought the offering. You understand that God cares more about who your heart, about who you are, about your internal nature than he cares about the external. The external is the spirit of religion. The external is I can do all these things to make people to appear to be and to be perceived to be religious and to be a Jesus follower. But Jesus cuts through all that. He's looking at your heart. He's going, I don't want the external if I don't get the internal with it. You know, it's very possible that you could give a boatload of money away. And I, I hope you do to Passion City Church. <laughs> but it is possible for you to give a boatload of money and not be a generous person. It is possible for you to sing worship songs and not be a worshiper because you can sever the external from the internal. That's why God always goes after your heart because he knows and we know that if he gets your heart, he gets everything else too. So it's not about the what, it's about the why. Does God have your heart? Not your stuff, not your calendar. We're not gonna get to heaven and have to pull out the list of Christian places we checked in. Well, look, you know, I went to that concert, I did this thing and I was at church most of the time and look at my resume, I did pretty good. None of that is gonna matter. It's gonna be, did I have your heart? Was the internal part of you beating for me? Or did I just get external things? And that's what, I love this. You know, Abel in the Bible never says one word. Isn't that crazy? He's the first dude listed in the hall of faith. He never said a word in the Bible. There's probably a message in that. It's not about how many words you say. He's the first guy listed in the hall of faith. Never said a word. All the introverts are like, amen, my guy. But it says about him in the hall of faith that even though he died, his life still speaks. See, that's the point that the writer's writing about, that you're being cheered on, you're being championed, you're being spoken to by these legends of the faith. And what is Abel saying to you? And what is Abel saying to me? He's saying what it says in verse six, it is impossible to please God without faith. Give him all the external stuff. Not going to please him. But by faith, by a heart that's been changed by God, even we, fragile, fractured sons and daughters, can have a stamp of approval on our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want nothing more than that. By faith, does God have your heart? That's the question Abel asks. That's the question this text asks. And then the second person I want to look at is David. Now, I love David. Don't you love David? We can talk about David at church until Jesus comes back. There's, there's so much to talk about in David's life. You just love cheering him on. Little shepherd boy turned warrior, giant slayer, king. But what can we learn from David's life is he's one of the last people. So we looked at Abel, the first person listed. One of the very last people is David. What can we pull out of his life that can be applied to where we are today? Number one, I think you see in David's life this deep desire to obey God. That word has been lost in translations over the last 20 years. To obey God. Not to love God. Not to be near to God. Not to be loved by God. But to obey God. 
to do what God says. When my way and God's way are in conflict, God wins. And you see that on display in David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, where Saul is gonna, we're, we're gonna have a new king. This is what it says. But your kingdom, Saul, will not endure. That, that's not what you wanna hear if you're a king. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So the problem with Saul is he didn't obey. And God says, I'm gonna go get a man after my own heart who will obey. Acts 13, verse 22. You see this, it says, after removing Saul, he, God, made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He's committed to doing what I ask him to do. Not to checking in at Christian places, but to living a life of obedience to moving when I say move, to giving when I say give, to serving when I say serve, to speak when I say speak. He is surrendered to me and his desire is to obey me. Psalm 119 verse 34, you see it again. David, give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. That's David up in the cloud. And one of the things he's shouting at you and one of the things he's shouting at me is obey, <laughs> obey. Don't, don't, don't drag God along into your way of things. Don't just do things your way and then come to church on Sunday because it makes you feel better. Don't try to twist God and wrap God around your plans, but submit to God and do what he asks you to do. And if you do that, you will live a life, yes, of obedience, but also of significance. Another thing that you see in David is he had a pure heart. Even as Samuel comes and they're looking for who the next king's gonna be and Jesse, his dad's listing off all his sons and forgets about the little shepherd boy. And the scripture says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David was a man after God's own heart. His heart was right. Didn't just look the part. It wasn't about external things. Down into his deepest desire. Whether I'm a shepherd boy in a field you got my heart, or whether I'm a giant slayer that everybody champions and celebrates, you still have my heart. You do not have my heart based on what my circumstances is. You have my heart because you are God and I belong to you. So you can leave me in a field or you can make me a king. It doesn't matter. My heart is pure. Not because I'm trying to get something from you, but because I realized crazy enough, I already have you. And that's enough to have my whole heart. His deepest desire in life was to be with God. I loved, uh, Melody quoted this Psalm earlier, Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Man, you list that sentence off for me. There's only one thing I'm asking. There's only one thing I'm after. I don't know if I'm filling it in with the same answer. I got a lot of things I'd like. I'm a human being. I got a lot of things I'd like to have. I got a lot of materialistic things I'd like to have. I, I got a lot of goals I'd like to hit, but it's something to come to this place where David is going, if I got one ask, even with enemies chasing me, here's my one ask. I wanna be with you, God. More than anything else in life, I wanna be with you. He trusted in God more than he trusted in himself. That's a hard thing to do says in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. As the giants yelling out insults and insulting the name of the Lord, David jumps up. 
not because he's looking to be a hero, but because he so loved and trusted God that he said, you will not defame that name in my presence because that's the Lord. And so he fought in the power of God, knowing that he could trust God. Even when the circumstances looked insurmountable, he knew that my God is bigger than my circumstances. So even though it looks like I'm gonna be taken out, I've got God at my back and God will protect me and God will defend me. My trust is in God, not in myself. And I think as David in the cloud is yelling down and cheering and championing us, he's reminding us of all these things. As he, as he wandered through the wilderness with Saul literally chucking spears at him, he still trusted God and not himself. As he had an opportunity in a cave to actually take Saul out, he knew, no, even though I have the opportunity, I'm still going to do things God's way with God's integrity and follow God's commands and obey God, even though I've got my moment right here. I'm still gonna follow God. And then I love this about David. He wasn't perfect. I don't know about you, but it's good to have some imperfect people in the cloud because I can relate to them. I, I, I can hear them shouting me and I know you, you've kind of been through what I've been through. You kind of understand where I am. David wasn't perfect. I loved in week one of this series, Louis said, it's not called the hall of perfection. It's called the hall of faith given by God as a free gift, not something that you strive for. He wasn't perfect, but when he fell, and we all will, he was quick to confess and he was quick to repent. And after one of, I'm sure there are many, many, many failures, he's a human being, but after the one that he's most known for with Bathsheba, you see Nathan come and confront him in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, and Nathan tells him this parable about there's a rich man, and there's a poor man, and the rich man has all these cattle and all these sheep, and and then there's a poor man, he's just got one uh, little lamb, and a traveler comes through and is asking for someone to sacrifice something so that he can have something to eat, and the rich man takes the lamb from the poor man instead of giving him one of the many that he has, and David burns with anger Nathan's telling him this parable and he goes, that guy got to be killed. And Nathan goes, that guy's you, man. You're the guy. And David's immediate response was, I have sinned against the Lord. Quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to turn around. Louis' first message in this series was the power of a promise. And the beautiful thing about a promise from God is that if you truly latch on to the promise from God. It is a promise that will fuel perseverance even in the chaos of life. And David, I love this. I was studying for a Christmas message recently and I just came across this. So if you always uh, skip the genealogies, uh, I do too sometimes, just be honest, but I didn't skip it this time and I read through it. I want you to see this. this is so powerful. It tells you so much about what David was like, a man after God's own heart. You say, well, how could you be a man after God's own heart if you did all these things? I think this is how he can be. Look at Luke chapter three, verse 31, 32. I'm not gonna read the whole genealogy because we already sprung forward and I don't want anybody to fall asleep. But look down at verse 31. You see the son of Malia, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse. So you get to son of Jesse, you know we're talking about the right David. And I was reading this text and I mean, I just, my eyes just stopped on the page. And I, and I, I went back, read it again. And then I read it again. And then I read it again. And then I started Googling like crazy. It says 
Nathan, the son of David, David named his son after the man who called him out for his most well-known sin. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not naming my kid after him. Somebody calls you, somebody calls you out for something. You, we, what do you tend to do? We tend to do just isolate, man. I don't want anything to do with you. You go your way. I'll go my way. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. We'll just sever here. We'll never experience life together again. But David was so grateful because he had a promise from God and was called by God and had a future with God. Was he perfect? No, he train wrecked his life like all of us did, but he understood that I can get back up. And I'm so grateful for you, Nathan, that you called me out in my sin and didn't let me sit in it and live in it and continue in it. But you can fronted me for it and you've gotten me back up and you put me back on a direction to follow God. I made it into the cloud, but I kept walking because you called me out. And I'm so grateful for that, that not only do I never want to talk to you again, I'm going to name my kid after you so that every time I call my son's name, I'm reminded that failure is an event and not an identity. That you can, you can experience failure and not become a failure. The enemy is an accuser. That's his primary role in life. And the minute you mess up, I knew it. Let's be honest. You knew it. We all knew you weren't going to be able to make it. We all knew you'd fall back into that same hole, look at that same thing, go to that same place. We knew you couldn't make it. And he wants you when you fail to wear it as an identity. But David in the cloud (laughs) reminds me that, oh yes, I have failed and I will fail, but my failures have been paid for by the living God Almighty. He's already covered them. There's no debt left on my account. So when I fail, I can get up because I have a promise to latch onto and I have a future with God. My future's heaven. I'm gonna live everlasting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Does it mean I'm perfect? No, I'm gonna fail all the time. But when I fail, I can get up because I got a promise that's so good that it helps me to persevere even in failure. David is in the cloud. David had a promise that fueled perseverance and endurance even amidst his own failure. Because failure is not an identity. It's simply an event. I don't know everything about everybody's life in this room. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life's been like for you. I think just in general, it's all been a a hard couple years, but even individually, amidst all the chaos that's going on in the world, there's personal hurt. I've still been doing funerals. I've still been counseling people whose marriages are falling apart. I've still been praying with people who are so desperate and want to have a child and can't. In these verses, I hope you get the picture today that as you're on a track running the race that God set out for you, that all along the track are the saints of old and they're cheering you on today. So maybe for you, you feel disappointed in God's timing. I thought I'd have that job by now. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought this conflict would be resolved by now. I thought all this thing would be worked out by now. I don't understand, God. Did you just leave me out here? Do you even see me? Are you gonna do anything? Well, don't forget that Abraham and Sarah are in the cloud. And they're going, we didn't understand his timing either. We were so old when we finally got pregnant that we laughed when we told we were going to be pregnant. 
We had to walk forever. We had a promise, but we never saw how it was going to come through. So we didn't understand his timing either, but keep going. Keep going. By faith, we made it. And by faith, you can make it. Maybe for you, you have a past that you're ashamed of. Uh, it's pretty good to know today that Rahab's up in the cloud. Former prostitute turned mighty woman used for the glory of God. And she's up there today. If the enemy keeps pulling you back and trying to rewind your life, she's up there going to keep going, daughter. Keep going, son. I, I, I know you've come from a past that you're not proud of, but guess what? The beauty about the gospel is that he gives us a new life. You're a new creation. That you died, a new you was born. So keep walking, son. By faith, I made it. And by faith, you can make it. You're not gonna try. You're not gonna earn. You're not gonna strive your way into approval from God. But by faith, I made it. And by faith, you can make it. Somebody in here, maybe you had somebody turn on you. You know what it's like to be betrayed. How great is it to know that Joseph's up in the cloud? He, sh he was betrayed by the people that should have had his back the most, his own family, his own brothers, sold him out. And he's up in the cloud today, yelling and screaming at you, cheering you on, witnessing to you. Maybe you feel like you're just limping along and he's going, hey, I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but I got betrayed too. Somebody turned their back on me too, but somebody turned their back on me. God never turned his back on me. And somehow I just kept walking. And there was a day where what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. By faith, keep going. By faith, keep trusting. By faith, keep walking. By faith, don't throw in the towel. By faith, don't quit. By faith, don't give up. By faith, don't push all the chips. Don't, don't, put every, don't fold, but push all your chips into the table with God. Maybe for you, you're confused by the path God has you on. Like, I don't understand how we got here. The map I had for my life, we're gonna go here and then here and then here and then here. And I, I don't know how I ended up over here. <laughs> I've been there. And I love that Moses is up in the cloud. From a burning bush, you're gonna leave my people out. It's like, okay, but we're gonna go this way. <laughs> and for 40 years, you're gonna lead a bunch of complaining people who never quite get it. And Moses is going, I don't understand the path either, man, but I made it into the cloud. I'm here today by faith. I made it today by faith. You don't have to understand the plan of God to be able to trust the God who's given you a promise that's backed by the stamp of God that cannot change and cannot fail. So by faith, keep walking and by faith, keep trusting. One of the things that this hall of faith screams at us is this, the only guarantee for us of a life lived by faith is approval from God. When you look at all these saints, they didn't, um, they didn't end up being healthy. They didn't end up being wealthy. They didn't get everything they asked for. They didn't get their jerseys retired while on earth. They didn't get all these things. What they got was approved. And there is no greater treasure in life than for God to approve of you and to approve of me. It's so crazy when you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, these were all commended for their faith Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is crazy. The saints of old, the people in the hall of faith, they longed for the thing that we have. 
They looked forward with expectation. We're gonna obey. We're gonna do things God's way. And we believe that at some point a Messiah is gonna come. Well, we're living after the cross. Jesus has already come. He's already canceled the debt and paid the price and taken away the sins of the world. And if they can live faith before Jesus came, then all of us should be fixated on the cross, draw confidence from the cross because they persevered in hopes of the fulfillment of the promise. And we persevere in hopes of the completion of the promise. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming back. And I don't know about you, but when he comes back, I want him to find me faithful. And I wanna have a stamp of approval on my life. So then we get back to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses now, I hope you hear them. Hope you don't just read it and have questions. I hope you hear them today. That's the picture that's being painted. By faith, son, by faith, daughter, keep going. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. In order for you to run your race well, you're gonna have to get rid of some stuff. Maybe you just need to think about that when you get home. And I love that it's not just sins. Everything that hinders and the sin that's so in, that's, that entangles you. It's, it's two things. So the question really isn't just, well, what's wrong with this? Is this a sin? It's like, is it wrong for me to look at Instagram for four hours a day? That may be a bad example. I think that is wrong, but you're like, inherently, is there anything wrong with this? Maybe that's not the right question. Maybe the right question is I'm on a race. Does this help me run well? And if it doesn't, then I'm gonna leave it behind so that I can run the race that God has called me to run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, it's true that you steer toward what you stare at. That's why when you were 16 and you learned to drive and you went across that bridge that was a little too tight and you had that truck on the other side and you kept getting closer and closer because you didn't want to hit it. Well, because you're staring at it, you're subconsciously steering towards it. You know that's true, right? So what the writer's saying is keep your eyes on Jesus. Lift your eyes to him. Stay locked on him. Don't look right, don't look left, look to Jesus. Eyes on Jesus, ears open to the saints who are cheering you on. And if you do that, your heart will be encouraged, even in the chaos, to latch on to the promise. And because of the assurance of the promise, that's faith, by the way. It's what it says in the first few verses of Hebrews. Because of that assurance, your faith will cause you to persevere. Eyes on Jesus, ears open to the songs of the saints and heart encouraged to persevere. Let me pray for us. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.